Jesus, our great high priest. He's always making intercession for us, pleading our case, showing his hands and his side and saying, I died for him. Uh, I died for her. Yes, he stumbled again. Yes, her faith is weak, but he's mine. She's mine. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And Jonathan, sounds like a great message of encouragement today. I think sometimes we come to know Christ, and if we have maybe stumbled and fallen in a big way, uh, we may wonder, would God still want me? Sounds like you're saying the answer is yes. Oh, the answer is yes, and it's a wonderful it's a wonderful yes. If our trust is in Christ and we're looking to Him, we have security not on the basis of anything we have done, but on the basis of who He is, His perfect life, His sin-bearing death, His life-giving resurrection, His work as our high priest, interceding on our behalf before the Father above. And we just need to hear those truths. We need to be reminded of them. We need to delight in them because we have those times of discouragement, don't we? We all have them where we think, oh, I, you know, I am so unworthy. Uh, I'm so unworthy and, and look at the mess I've made of things and will God want anything more to do with me? And if, if our faith is in Jesus, the answer, the answer is yes. I'm mindful, too, there will be some wondering, you're not, you're not a Christian, you're not trusting in Jesus yet, but you're listening to this and you're wondering, would God have anything to do with me? Would he accept me? And the answer is the same for you. If you come to him through faith in Jesus, there is there is a welcome and there is forgiveness and acceptance. And that's the very heart of the gospel message. What a great truth to be thinking about as we begin our time together here. If you have a Bible handy, hope you'll grab it and join us in the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 7 today as we continue a message called Salvation to the Uttermost. Here is Jonathan. Why is Hebrews going into such detail here? Is there actually any point to it? In considering this fascinating figure, Hebrews is laying the foundation of our better hope in Jesus Christ, the new way in which we come to God through Him. And perhaps surprisingly, Melchizedek is at the foundation of this greater hope, this better way. But once we've considered this fascinating figure, we need to recognize the radical change that takes place. The radical change that takes place as Jesus comes on the scene as high priest in the line of Melchizedek. One of the issues that the first readers of Hebrews were evidently struggling with was this, is Jesus really qualified to serve as a priest before God? Is he legitimate? Is he really able to deal with the problem of my sin and bring me into the presence of a holy God? And there is very good reason, actually, to be asking this question. It's not just pure cynicism. There is a substantial reason, and here it is. Jesus was not of the tribe of Levi. All the priests in Jerusalem, they were meant to be Levites. That was the pattern, that was the rule, that was the legislation, if you like, from the Old Testament. But Jesus was of the wrong tribe. And so friends must have been saying to these believers, how can you trust in a priest who isn't even qualified? It's like going to a doctor whose medical certificate in the office is downloaded from the internet and stuck up on the wall with scotch tape. You're crazy to turn to someone like that for spiritual help. 
Well, Hebrews acknowledges the problem, verses 13 and 14, and his answer, well, it's pretty radical. Yes, Jesus isn't from that tribe. You're right, He's not from that order. But here's what you need to see. The Old Testament actually speaks of another order of priesthood, the order of Melchizedek. That may surprise you, but even our great patriarch Abraham acknowledged the validity of this priest, and he went so far even as to give him a tithe. I know it's radical, says Hebrews. In fact, it's more radical than you even think. When Jesus comes along in this different priestly order, He is actually bringing a wholesale change in the law. He is actually bringing about a new era in terms of our relationship with God. Just notice verse 12. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. The whole of the Old Testament system, all the rules, all the ways in which the people of Israel related to God and obeyed God, they were all of them tied to the temple, all tied to the priesthood. And if the priesthood changes, well, the whole system has to be overhauled. God gave this hint in Genesis chapter 14 that there would be another way, another pattern to come. He reinforced it centuries later in Psalm 110 and verse 4. That psalm, as we found before, it's a psalm of David. And you can just imagine King David sitting in Jerusalem in his study one morning, doing his quiet time, and he's working through Genesis. And he comes to chapter 14, and he comes across this figure, a king in Salem, who also serves as a priest which no other king could do, who serves as a priest, though he's not a Levite, which no other priest could do. It's completely radical. It's totally out of the ordinary. But David sees there a pattern in Genesis 14, and inspired by the very Spirit of God, he imagines a day, he looks to a day when another such priest king might come and be appointed by God Himself and it would be a day of great change. So when he comes, of course, the whole system, it had to change. Here are the wider implications. Verse 18, notice it with me. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. November the 9th marks 30 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall. When that great barrier between East and West came down, when that chink in the armor of the Soviet bloc opened up, even at that time, at that early stage, it was abundantly clear that these events meant change. Change not just for a dis divided city, but change for the world. These events meant the transition from one era to another, the arrival of a new priest of a different order, one whose office is grounded not in heredity, but in the power of a life that never ends, verse 16. The arrival of such a priest means radical transformation, legal change, the dawn of a whole new age in terms of how we relate to God. It means the beginning, verse 22, of a whole new covenant, a whole new arrangement between us and God. When the wall came down in 89, people on both sides were filled with hope 
because they knew that the status quo was not working at all. The economic system on the eastern side wasn't functioning for the people. Hostility between east and west, it wasn't helping anyone on either side. Something had to give here. Whether or not the worshipers in the temple at Jerusalem realized it or not, verses 18 and 19 tell us that the old covenant system of relating to God, it wasn't ultimately effective. It wasn't working. The rites and the rituals, the sacrifices and the offerings, all the rest, they simply were not dealing with that fundamental problem of human guilt before God. They they weren't dealing with the crisis of sin in a final way. And because sin was not being dealt with, the worshipers weren't actually able to come into the presence of God. The language of verses 18 and 19 is really very strong. The system set out in the Old Testament law was, according to the writer of Hebrews, weak and useless. It made nothing perfect. Very strong language. And of course, none of that failure is due to a failure or a mistake on the part of God Himself. No, in God's own design, the old way of coming to Him through the Levitical priests at the temple in Jerusalem, it was never meant to be the whole solution. It was pointing to and anticipating the true solution, the better way yet to come. The Bible makes it clear from cover to cover that we were created and built for relationship with God. We were designed to flourish as we lived in His very presence. But sin creates a barrier. Human rebellion, it sets us at a distance from our Maker. And in the old system at the temple, yes, there's an opportunity to get nearer to God. He makes Himself available in the community in some way through the temple. But on another level, you know, the temple actually highlights the distance between God and a sinful people. You see, in the architecture of the temple, there are multiple courtyards and walls and barriers and curtains, and only certain people can go inside, and only on certain days, and only with certain sacrifices. The old system, it was a start, but it wasn't the solution. It didn't fix the problem of a humanity alienated from its Maker because of sin. But Jesus came to be a radically different kind of priest, achieving something far better And so now, having laid that foundation, the writer invites us to look to Him, to look to Jesus, our great high priest. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're going to pause the message right here, but we'll get back to this uh, look at Hebrews chapter 7 in just a moment. I want you to know if you ever miss a broadcast, you can come to the website and you can listen online. Our website address is encounterthetruth.org. And there you can stream the program or download it for free. Again, the website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. Jesus came to be a radically different kind of priest, achieving something far better. And so now, having laid that foundation, the writer invites us to look to Him, to look to Jesus, our great high priest. And he has two things to show us about this great high priest and our better hope in him. He wants to show us first that this high priest is permanent unlike the others. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds the priesthood permanently 
because He continues forever. One of the issues that we've been confronting in Hebrews repeatedly, and which we confronted actually last week, is this. Will the Lord keep hold of those who trust in Jesus? I mean, we all feel weak, don't we? I feel weak. We all know that we're sinful. We often lack faith. We stumble, sometimes we fall. We simply cannot keep going on our own. And so we ask the question, will the Lord keep hold of us? We read that warning last week in chapter 6, which shook us up a little. We believe that the Scriptures teach that God holds on to His true children. He keeps hold of the true believer, even though we would fail to keep hold of Him at the first opportunity. But the warning, it feels unsettling to us. We said last week, and we affirmed last week, that despite the warning that the true believer can never fall away, that warning was actually given to stop us falling away. It was a tool to keep us And by God's grace, we'll never fall away if we've turned to Jesus in true repentance and faith. Now, there might be some who, to our eyes, appear to fall away. That's what it can look like to us, and we'll all know situations like that. But the reality may be actually a little different. You see, perhaps this person was never truly converted to Christ in the first place. And what we really need to be praying for for this person is that they might be converted, that they might understand the gospel, that they might repent and believe. Others were concerned about, well, they may, they may be true believers, but they're terribly backslidden at the present time. And what we need to pray for them is that the Lord might in His mercy restore them but the Lord keeps and the Lord holds on to the true believer. That's our confidence. That's our understanding of the Scriptures. Now, I mention all that again because verse 25 shows us the reason for our confidence. It shows us how this can be so, how this can be true. Here's the reason why true believers can and will endure to the end. Jesus, our great high priest, He always lives, and He will never die. That's the reason. That's the basis. He's always there. He's always making intercession for us. He's at the Father's side in heaven, pleading our case, showing His hands and His side and saying, I died for Him. Uh, I died for her. I've bought this one at a price, and she is mine. Yes, He stumbled again. Yes, her faith is weak, but He's mine. She's mine. As a family, I think we live in just about the quietest neighborhood in the world. (laughs) But a few weeks ago, in the middle of the night, there was quite a disturbance on our street, which was very surprising. And I actually ended up needing to call the police to ask if they could just send a car by to be a presence there. I've never needed to do that before. But it's wonderfully reassuring, you know, to pick up the phone in the middle of the night, the dead of night, when the whole city is sleeping, to dial the number for the police and immediately to reach a person who is there, standing by, ready to help. It's a wonderful thing, actually. And we should be so thankful for those people who stand ready to help us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. The police, the fire service, the doctors, nurses, paramedics, and many others too. What a privilege to live in a society where there are such people ready and willing to help us. Hebrews wants us to see that there is one in heaven above, an advocate, 
a representative who pleads our case, who speaks on our behalf, who is always there for us, who will never cease to be available to his people. We might imagine an Israelite approaching one of the Levitical priests at the temple in Jerusalem, approaching a priest and saying, you know, I I don't know if I can even come near to the Lord at the temple today. I'm weighed down by guilt. I've broken the law, and I know my sin. I'm hesitant even to be here talking to you. Is there any hope for me? And the priest might say, the priest ought to say, the Lord is merciful and gracious, and He's appointed a means for you you to come. I'm going to make a sacrifice soon and offer it to the Lord, and He will accept that sacrifice, and you're going to be cleansed of your guilt. Take heart. Come near. And for years to come, that man or woman might come to the temple and and seek out that particular priest and and perhaps just share how things are going and receive a word of encouragement and, and a smile and feel reassured, knowing that this priest knows their story, knows the background, knowing that this priest has offered the Lord's reassurance and then will go into the temple once more and make intercession. But then, you know, one year this Israelite comes up to the temple, perhaps for the great day of atonement ritual, and, and he asks for this particular priest, only to be told, well, actually, no, that priest, he's, he's passed away this year. He, he's no longer here. His time of service is now complete. And the believer's shaken by that. The believer's unsettled and doesn't now know to whom to turn. Like the story of Melchizedek, the story of the life of Jesus, it has no end. We don't know exactly what happened to Melchizedek and, and, and why his story ends as it does with no completion. It doesn't really matter anyway, but we do know what happened in the case of Jesus. Through the resurrection, our great high priest has defeated death and ever lives to intercede for us. And because of that, he can save to the uttermost, those who come to Him. He can keep us forever. He can hold us to the nth degree. We'll never call upon Him and hear silence at the end of the line. We will never look for Him and fail to find Him waiting for us and ready to help us. That's the thought, isn't it, that Paul so delights in in Romans chapter 8 when he asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ And he answers his own question, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no possibility of separation. There's no possibility of separation because Jesus, our representative, our priest, the one who has our name written in the palm of his hands, he lives forever. He will never die. He will remain in post, in office, ministering in the heavenly sanctuary for all eternity to come. Through Jesus, we have a new way, a better way, because he is the permanent high priest, but also because he is the sinless high priest, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, 
first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. I remember someone I know sharing his experience of going for a checkup for a medical at the doctor. I think he was more or less doing okay, but the doctor said to him, look, things are mostly fine, but you could stand to lose a, a pound or two. That's the only thing. You've just been letting your weight creep up a, a little, maybe too many visits to the ice cream parlor, that kind of thing. And this person recalls sitting there on the examination bench with the, the doctor standing there right in front of him. And of course, as the patient sitting on the bench, his direct view was of the doctor's own waistline at this point. And as the doctor stood there kind of dishing out this advice about watching his weight and so on, he couldn't help but observe that uh, this doctor was evidently in some need of the same counsel himself. It, it was good advice, but it was just a little bit hard to receive it from this particular doctor at this particular time. When the pilgrims went up to Jerusalem to the temple, if a man or a woman went to the priest with their burdened conscience and perhaps confess their sin, the priest, if he's being honest, would have to say, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know because I have my own guilt. I have my own failures. I have my own sin. And all that burdens me as I go in there. I'm going to make an offering, a sacrifice for your sin, but, but I'm actually going to have to make an offering first for my own sin. If I'm going to be of any help to you in there, I got to deal with my own problem, my own guilt first. And the pilgrim might well think, well, I appreciate the honesty and the openness, but if that guy's just as sinful as I am, what are the odds that the Lord will even hear his prayer for me? What are the odds that the Lord will even accept his sacrifice on my behalf? Is this just a hopeless situation? Well, praise God, our great high priest above approached the Father in total purity and in total sinlessness. He didn't go to the Father with his own baggage, with his own needs. He went as one totally acceptable to the Father. He went as one whose only business in the sanctuary above was the forgiveness of my sin and the forgiveness of your sin. And as he serves in that heavenly sanctuary, as our high priest even today, his only task is to represent us. His only task is to intercede for us. Friends, I hope that you know this better hope, this hope that is ours in Jesus. If you don't know it, if you don't know him, let me say you can know him even today. You can come with your sin and with your failure and with your burden of guilt. And if you come to him in repentance and faith, he will lift that burden from your shoulders and he will accept you and he will forgive you and he will bring you into the presence of God himself. You can do that even today. For those of us who do know him, the encouragement is simply to come. Come near once more to God through Jesus. Well, I do hope that you have come to know Jesus like Jonathan's been talking about today. Maybe you still have questions about beginning a relationship with him. Then I hope you'll contact us here at Encounter the Truth. You can do that through our website, 
EncounterTheTruth.org, or you can call us at 833-99-TRUTH. And as you begin that relationship with Jesus, you're going to want to get to know him better. And there's no source that will draw you closer to Jesus than the Gospels. So how could you do a deep dive? Well, J.C. Ryle helps us do just that by uncovering the hidden treasures that are revealed in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as these Gospel writers take a look at Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We'd love to send you a book of J.C. Ryle's devotional writings called Daily Readings from All Four Gospels. It's our thank you gift to you as you give a gift of any amount in supporting Encounter the Truth this month. Find out more or give your gift online by coming to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's EncounterTheTruth.org or 833-998-7884. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.